This is a podcast from RNIB's Insight Radio. It's time now for Ask the Pharmacist. And it's a regular look behind the news headlines. You will have heard these stories. And uh, joining me now in the studio is Elizabeth Roddick from New Life Pharmacy. Hello. Hello, Simon. And uh, we've got some good stories. There's, there's some quite, oh, I should say, quite a wide variety of medical stories at the moment. Yes. Isn't there? And it's mm. uh, trying to pick the right ones to have a look at uh, that will affect people. And one of them that's actually been reported is that uh, half a million children who have been diagnosed with asthma might not actually have the condition. Now, is that correct? Well, the first thing to say about this report is that it was a study carried out in the Netherlands, but it could well apply in the UK. We don't know. I I believe in 2017, Simon, there's going to be new guidance coming out uh, from NISA. You remember that's the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, and that's the body that gives guidance to the NHS in England and Wales. So they're going to be bringing out new guidance in 2017. Now, these researchers in Netherlands, they looked at the medical records of over 600 children between 6 and 18, and they'd been diagnosed with asthma or had been prescribed an inhaler. Uh, And they were looking to see how the asthma had been diagnosed, and, and this is the point of the study, usually by something called spirometry. And that's where you breathe in very forcibly into a container and, and they measure that. And then they, they look to see if that is reversed when you use an inhaler. Now, about 53% of the children they looked at, the researchers suggested were overdiagnosed. In other words, they might not have had asthma, which is interesting. Now, I said at the beginning that the evidence is not from the UK, so we don't know if that's true. But the other thing is that GPs in the Netherlands, for example, they, they have to send the children to hospital to be diagnosed, whereas really the diagnosis is mainly done in within our GP practices. So it'll be interesting to see whether the new guidelines, they actually look at this research and they say, well, that's interesting what happened in Netherlands. Let's have a look at the UK. I know that we were um, uh, talking about this in the show last year, actually, I think it was, and uh, I was chatting with Dr Hilary Jones, actually, about, about the fact that there seems to be people being mis- misdiagnosed because the people who are diagnosing them don't know enough about asthma in, uh, in, the, in the health service. Well, of course, I couldn't comment on that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think I think guidelines are very important, and I think Mm. if if we all follow the guidelines, then perhaps there won't be this misdiagnosis. Plus, you've got the different inhalers as well. There's talk that people tend to get mixed up with them as well, don't they? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, lately, Simon, there's been an explosion of new inhalers on on the market, and used to talk about brown and blue. Uh, brown being the steroid inhaler, the one we recommend taking in the background every single day. And when you take the brown one all the time, it means you don't have to use the blue one so much, which is for the wheeziness. Nowadays, there's pink, there's white, there's all sorts of colours. But also, we can individualise the treatment. So choosing the right inhaler, I think, is just so important. I mean, the number of deaths from asthma is really very high and one of the reasons is that they're not using their inhalers correctly so it's something that I know pharmacists do a lot and I know in Glasgow we've got a big trial on at the moment doing that and what we do with patients is uh, the newer ones it's sometimes difficult to coordinate you know for example if you're pushing down and breathing in at the same time that can be very difficult so there's some where it's breath actuated so it's a dry powder so it's really a big breath in and that gets the drug in into the lung so so there's lots of things like spacers as well where 
that's very easy for somebody if they have difficulty and you, you prep, put the inhaler at the end of the spacer, it's a big plastic tube, you press it, put a dose in and then breathe normally and again that's a way of getting the drug into the lung. So there's lots of ways and, and please ask your pharmacist, we can help with that, lots of ways of helping you with inhaler technique because if you are diagnosed it's very, very important to be using these inhalers correctly. And I think you touched on that as well because you might get the impression that asthma is just a bit of a wheezy chest and a cough, but many people do die of it yeah. in this country it's, it's, every year, don't they? It's really, I think it's it's not acceptable that, that people are dying from asthma nowadays because we do have very good treatments. And as I say, sometimes it's just because the, the technique is not getting the drug into the lung and, and we can do something about that. All right. Moving on, kind of related actually, because this has been across uh, a lot of the headlines now that you tend to think in in Europe we've all got good air quality in the big cities and the big towns. But uh, there's a report saying that air pollution is contributing to about 400,000 early deaths in the UK. And uh, that seems... um, really excessive but uh, I think it was about 40,000 40, that would be why fine. it seems excessive yeah 40,000 itself <laughs> is is quite high actually mm. and and it was reported really by the, the Royal College of Physicians the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health was looking at changes in the sources of air pollution indoors and outdoors and also on the population, you know, as, as we age, what about climate age, uh, climate change, sorry, wh- what effect does this have on society? And reports suggest, that, as I say, that 40,000 people die from outdoor pollution, but even more could be dying from indoor pollution. They also suggest a baby in the womb, obviously developing, and, and this pollution could lead to cancer, asthma, heart disease, even dementia in later life. And that's because of the pollution that the pregnant mother is, if you like, breathing in. Now, the experts looked at what we're actually doing here. Well, what are the effects over a lifetime? And particularly for vulnerable groups and and, and looking at what the cost is in air pollution, what is it costing to society? Uh, Years ago, our cities were cleaned up uh, in terms of the pollution that coal caused when it was burned. But nowadays, uh, I'm afraid it's mainly cars. Uh, inside our pollutants are things like gas cookers, cleaning products, damp and mould, cigarette smoke, clearly, and carbon monoxide. And so long-term exposure to air pollution affects our, our lungs, and we've got chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, asthma, linked to type 2 diabetes, I say heart disease, cancer, really, all, all of these problems. And, and, it is, and as I say, it is really a problem. So it sounds as if... We're a wee bit all doomed. Uh, <laughs> I think all of us seriously need to play our part. Um, government and health authorities, they need to, they have a big responsibility to keep our cities uh, pollution down in the cities and our public vehicles. We need lots more areas for cycling, walking, electric cars need to be affordable. And workplaces, you know, people who are employing people, they need to reduce the pollution in the workplace, in the home. Need to think about replacing old gas appliances and running an energy efficient home, maybe more insulation. Can we change our mode of transport? I mean, I'm afraid I'm looking at my old car here, six years old diesel, and I'm thinking, you know, that's probably causing a lot of pollution. But as I say, things like it's electric you. cars, <laughs> things like electric cars, uh, are quite are not affordable just now. But I think as a society, we need to be thinking about that because if you look at the deaths and the diseases that are caused by air pollution, we all have to do our bit. 
And, and uh, when I cycle, I, I think to myself, well, you know, I was fooled into that thing that diesel cars, they've got these catalytic converters now, they've got their own filters on them. They're, they're, you know, you're all right now. And you say, you know, you're going out cycling, you're pumping in all this air as you're, you're pedaling away. And you think, I'm actually doing myself more <laughs> harm than good, you know? Yeah, I often look at the cyclists and I think, wow. Or even runners in, in the streets, some of the cities. Again, you're, you're breathing in a lot of pollution there. Mm, I think we will come back to this someday. <laughs> Uh, we'll finish off with uh, another headline and uh, desperate to lose weight eat almonds a handful a day wards off hunger and replaces empty calories from junk food what do you think about that? (laughs) I'm afraid the research has not proved that funnily (laughs) enough uh, the researchers were from uh, Florida an interesting University of Florida and interestingly, the research was funded by the Almond Board of California. Oh, really? Now, that sounds a little like a conflict of interest. <laughs> so they took 28 uh, parents and 28 children and they divided into two. So some of them, the half of them were asked to eat almonds and the other half not eat almonds for three weeks. They then switched over after a sort of washout period or a break. But all the participants knew they were either taking almonds or not. And you know... As well as I do, Simon, in double-blind trials, if you're doing like medicines, double-blind trials, and the the people who are taking either the medicine or the placebo, the sugar tablet, the first thing is they don't know they're taking it because there's a lot of bias in that. So the participants were asked to report on their bowel function, how many stools they passed in a week, and whether they had constipation or feeling bloating. And the researchers examined the bacteria in the stools and, and they were looking at blood and saliva tests as well and they also asked a diet questionnaire they were asked questions about healthy eating and the, those that were not eating almonds had a score of 53.7 out of 100 and those that did eat almonds had a slightly higher score it was 61.4 so I think this is where the, the press has got hold of this saying oh they must be healthier but I'm not sure about the the eating and in terms of of losing weight i don't see that at the moment but the almond group basically ate fewer junk foods so that's what i suppose if you only ate a handful of nuts almonds every day then you'd definitely lose weight wouldn't you (laughs) that was your only diet your only thing to eat but there seemed to be a hype about eating almonds and, and we know they're nutritious they contain healthy oil protein fiber but the researchers found no difference in bowel function or bacteria. And as I said earlier, the participants knew they were eating the almonds, so the research was biased. And they might not have answered the questions correctly, so I'm sure if researchers ask you about your diet, Simon, I think a lot of us would perhaps say, yes, we're eating more nutritiously than perhaps we are. So that was another maybe bias. So, yes, add nuts to your diet. I think they're a great, great idea. For example, instead of a sweet snack, Please add diet, you know, something like like almonds. Uh, But if you're eating more nuts, make sure they're unsalted because we know a lot of salt causes increased blood pressure. Oh, spoil them. But but I don't think this research, despite the headline, has shown that that we're losing weight with them. That's the point. (laughs) I know. You say that about um, salt because I remember the peanuts used to be a lot more salty, even salty peanuts. And you get them now and they don't taste. I miss that salt. (laughs) Well, I think governments are asking Mm. manufacturers to reduce the salt Mm. in food, generally processed foods, because it does cause increased blood pressure. So we'll get used to that, Simon. Well, well, the thing is, once I, you know, I've cut out salt, well, I have done for a number of years now, and I actually taste it more now. 
in food so you know if you, you your body gets used to it if yep. you if you have any questions for elizabeth she would love to hear from you uh if, if uh, you need some advice even on some uh, medical questions pointing in the right direction you can contact her via insight radio or you can get a look at her her website which is uh, all the w's newlifepharmacy.co.uk elizabeth always a pleasure thanks for joining us thanks simon Thanks for listening to this podcast from RNIB's Insight Radio. For more podcasts, check out insightradio.co.uk.